want to tell you about the Principality of Hutt River, an unrecognised micronation that attempted to secede from Australia in 1970. The people behind this secession uh, kept up their claim of sovereignty for 50 years. Uh, This claim was thoroughly ignored by more or less everyone, but that didn't stop Hutt River using their supposed status as an independent nation to issue passports and mint coins and engage in what was some very inventive tax evasion schemes. Uh, it's a very amusing story and one that a fair few alert listeners have written in to request that we get across. Marie-Christine Osborne, Ryan Newbury, Andrew Quinn, Kieran Poole. So cheers to all of you and also to everyone else writing in as ever. But the story of the Hutt River uh, goes back to 1970 and it begins with something that will become a common theme throughout its entire history – a bloke named Leonard Casley being disgruntled with the Australian government. Um, Casley owned a, a huge wheat farm just up the road from Perth in, in Western Australia. That's, well, that's just up the road in WA terms. It is around 500 kilometres up the road from Perth. But again, in WA, that's just, uh, you know, that's just an afternoon, afternoon outing, isn't it? Anyway, this farm really was massive, absolutely huge, uh, around 76 square kilometres. That's almost 19,000 acres. Um, which would have meant were its sovereignty sovereignty actually ever recognised, uh, it would have made uh, Hutt River the sixth smallest nation on earth um, between San Marino and Liechtenstein. And did I ever tell you, dear listener, about my time in Liechtenstein? I don't. I don't think I've ever. I haven't brought it. I don't. I don't tend to talk about it too much. Do I? No, no. I. I well. For those who don't know, I did, in fact, ride a bike the whole way across Liechtenstein. I will not shut up about the fact that I've done this. Um, for more, for all of the very boring details on that, episode 229, the world's smallest nations. Get across it. Anyway, back in 1970, Casley, he's getting ready to harvest and sell the wheat that he's grown on this farm. And this ends up with him stouching with the, uh, with the state government, with the WA government. Uh, the government has put wheat production restrictions in place, uh, meaning that Casley is only allowed to sell 10% of his total crop. Now, understandably, Casley isn't too pleased with this. He's grown a huge amount of wheat. He can't sell all of it. Um, and, and he's not a big fan of this bloody, bloody planned economy commie bastards down in Perth. So he rounds up some of the other local farmers who are also displeased with this policy, and he protests to the government. And... Uh, what will become another common theme of this episode, Casley is thoroughly ignored. Um, the, the government does essentially nothing about the protests that, uh, that, that Casley and these other farmers bring to the table. Uh, the other farmers promptly give up. They're like, okay, well, that's the, way, that's the way it is. But not Casley. In the wake of his failed protest, Casley decided to take a rather more drastic approach to solving the problem by declaring himself and his property independent and sovereign, effectively announcing his secession from Australia. Now, he did this with a convoluted and impressive, impressively optimistic legal argument that involved the claim that Western Australia was never, never actually proclaimed as a British territory, uh, and therefore the Australian government had no sovereignty over it. Now, it was very good of him, of course, to cobble, to cobble together even this rudimentary legal case, because the end of the day, he could have just done what the British did all those years ago, just employ some very selective finders, keepers, and nick the land off the government just as they nicked it off its original Indigenous owners all those centuries ago. But he didn't do that. You know, he, he at least tried to formulate some sort of legal argument to underpin this claim of sovereignty, which everyone just went right ahead and thoroughly ignored. 
But in any case, the Hutt River province, as it was initially known, it declared its independence on the 21st of April 1970. And not too long after this, Casley started calling himself His Majesty Prince Leonard I of Hutt. Now, quick note here for anyone, any, any would-be monarchs who are wanting to give themselves an impressive sounding title. You don't actually use the first um, until another one comes along. So if you're the first monarch by a given name, you never get called the first in your lifetime because there has to be a second one with the same name for you to start being called the first. For instance, uh, King Stephen of England is not known as King Stephen the first of England because there was never a King Stephen the second. Obviously, they decided that Stephen wasn't wasn't a sufficiently regal name, and so they never went back for a second helping. Anyway. Leonard the first, whatever, um, he declared himself as the prince of, uh, of Hutt River for a very interesting reason, right? Very interesting reason indeed. Because he maintained, because he maintained that despite his independence from Australia, he was still loyal to Queen Elizabeth II, right? She's a queen, he's a prince. She outranks him, but he's still, he's still a loyal subject. And according to him, under the British Treason Act of, wait for it, 1495, uh, Casley believed that by naming himself as a monarch, he would be immune to legal interference from the Australian government. This was not true, as uh, as we will discover as we continue the story. But Casley used this and also a piece of correspondence from the Australian government that named him as, quote, the administrator of the Hutt River province to support his claim that the Australian government did indeed recognise his sovereignty and that this was legally binding, right? He was now an autonomous monarch of his own micronation. So he's done them. He's done them. He's absolutely stitched them up. He's stitched up these bastards in Canberra, hasn't he? And now, with the independence of his new principality secured, Casley got on with the business of selling all of his wheat in open defiance of the WA laws that now, of course, no longer applied to him. Generously. Very generously. Casley did give the Australian government two years to respond to his claims of independence, believing that to be required under Australian law. But when the federal government didn't respond by April 1972, the question was settled. Hutt River was independent. No taxis maxis. Of course, the real reason that the government didn't respond was because they didn't care that Casley had claimed sovereignty. It wasn't something that concerned them all that much. But in any case, Casley, oh, sorry, excuse me, Prince Leonard I, um, he got on with the business of governing his new realm. He minted coins, uh, despite their independence from Australia. The Hutt River dollar was pegged to the Australian dollar, one for one. And uh, some of these coins are truly baffling. Um, there's some stuff on them that you might expect, kangaroos, you know, classic Australian sort, sort of uh, imagery like that. But on some of these coins, there is, this isn't a joke, there is the Statue of Liberty? You know, that famous landmark that is found, what, halfway up the coast of WA? Yeah, that one. Um, Casley also printed stamps to represent his nation as well, Um, some of which, I mean, obviously many of them have survived, and uh, some of these stamps to the eager collector. Uh, Today, they command prices of upwards of $4 or $5. Yeah, 4 or 5 bucks for um, some Hutt River stamps, then they're not. They're not expensive. Anyway, uh, in time, Hutt River would also print passports, uh, which were not valid in any jurisdiction whatsoever. We'll talk about them a little bit more later on, Um, as well as encouraging international businesses to register themselves in Hutt River so as to enjoy the age-old corporate pastime of good old-fashioned tax evasion. 
And tax evasion was something that Casley seemed to have a, a very strong interest in, a real passion for, as was very clearly demonstrated in 1977. For a few years there, the Australian government just seemed quite happy to let Casley enjoy playing pretend. The government didn't really seem to care all that much what Casley was doing. But then that changed, as I say, in 1977, when something came to the attention of the federal government, namely when the taxman came a-knocking and inconsiderately insisted that Casley address the certain matter of quite a hefty sum of unpaid taxes that he owed. The Australian Taxation Office very rudely came along to Casley and said, well, look, mate, while it does seem that you're having a marvellous time with whatever weird little fantasy you've got, you've, uh, you've got going on here, we are going to need you to cough up, mate. You know, you can go back to playing Kings and Queens afterwards, Leonard, if that's all right, but it's time to, uh, time, time to open up that wallet, my friend. Now, Cassley, of course, after this outrageous demand from the Australian Taxation Office, he refused to hand over a single cent. And why should he? He is the independent sovereign of an autonomous nation. He's not answerable to anyone. He's certainly not footing the bill as an, as an Australian taxpayer. He's not an Australian subject. Those bastards aren't going to see one single hut river dollar. Well, the ATO didn't quite agree with Casley's assessment that he didn't owe any money and so took him to court where he had his pants pulled down and was ordered to hand over the money that the ATO said they were owed. Now, Casley responded to this in a way that you're just, you, you never in a million years would you predict Casley's next move. You are not going to believe the, the, the step that he took here, right? <clears throat> because after the court had issued this, uh, this order insisting that Casley pay his taxes, he responded with what has to be, I think, the most innovative approach to tax evasion that history has ever seen. Because as Prince Leonard I of Hutt River, Casley then declared war on Australia. Now, I don't want to brag too much here, but Australia, generally speaking, pretty bloody good at war, all things considered. Since Federation, since 1901, we have a record of 19 wins, four losses and three draws. That is a 70% win rate, mate. We are better at war than we are at cricket, and we are very bloody good at cricket. The Australian men's test cricket team has a win rate of... Oh, 47.5%? That actually doesn't sound that impressive at all. It's, it's by far the best in the world, as it happens. Um, England's is only 36.6%. Um, but the reason even very successful uh, cricket teams like Australia have, um, have such low win rates in test cricket is because of all the draws, which makes it even more difficult for foreigners to understand why watching a game that can last five days has a good chance of ending in a draw. It, it makes it very hard to understand why cricket is a compelling sport. But anyway, that's the way that it goes. The point here is you would rather take Australia on in a cricket match rather than in war based on our win rates. Um, however, as Hutt River didn't have a Prince's 11 ready to go, Casley evidently decided that the only option left available to him was war. Um, the reason he actually did this was, again, you're just not going to believe this. The reason that Casley declared war in Australia was, was because he believed that he was protected by the Geneva Convention um, under the terms of which Australia would have to fight and defeat the Hutt River province in a war before pressing their claim for the unpaid taxes. 
fortunately, we didn't see Australia and Hutt River actually begin formal proper hostilities before the Australian Army could be mobilised and sent out west. Uh, Casley rather wisely withdrew his declaration of war, instead deciding to fight in the courts again rather than on the battlefield. Um, but on second thoughts, maybe Casley did have a chance in, in pitched combat against the Australian Army. After all, right, one of Australia's most humiliating military defeats did take place on the wheat fields of WA, episode 75, get across it, the Great Emu War. I should adjust that, uh, that, that, that win rate, shouldn't I? 19 wins, five losses and three draws. Anyway. Over the next few decades, Casley did everything he could to attempt to defend the Hutt River's claim of sovereignty and avoid paying his taxes. He has he racked up fines and penalties and vast back taxes owed, uh, but ignored them all. He continued to claim that Australia had no authority over him and had no right to uh, to, to seek taxation money from him. Despite, of course, having no legal claim to independence whatsoever, um, and despite Australian courts time and time again dismissing any and every claim that Casley made for sovereignty, despite of this, the Hutt River province continued to cause Australian, Australian, the Australian government headaches for, for decades, right? 28 different countries sent over a hundred diplomatic cables um, confirming whether, confirming just whether this Hutt River business was legitimate or not. Obviously, the, this bloke kicked up enough of a stink that international governments were like, well, hang on, is, is, did this guy actually secede? Is this, is this really a thing? The European Union, for instance, had to release an official memorandum that, that explicitly stated that Hutt River passports weren't legitimate. Remember before I said that the Hutt River province was issuing passports? People bought them and tried to travel on them. People actually attempted to travel on these fantasy passports and were consequently arrested and charged for doing so. So it wasn't the wisest move. But the Hutt River, Hutt River government, it claimed a citizenry of 14,000 people spread all around the world because people were buying these silly passports, um, despite only 20 or so people living actually there on the property itself. Um, but look, in fairness, I will say in, in fairness to Casley, right, in fairness of his whole thing about being independent and autonomous, he claimed that uh, along with not having to pay taxes, consequently, therefore, uh, he and his subjects also weren't eligible for healthcare or education or pensions or any other welfare that, that came from the Australian government, which is very even handed of him. Um, apparently, he and his subjects also managed to have their names removed from the Australian electoral rolls. Um, but again, the main thrust of Hutt River Province's foreign policy seemed to be based around not paying taxes or, more broadly, recognising the authority of the Australian federal government in any way, shape or form. However, hilariously, this this is so brilliant, right? Despite this decades-long fight with the Australian federal government and the, the WA state government, Casley and the Hutt River Province still paid council taxes to the local government, although he claimed that these payments weren't a tax. He claimed that they were just a gift, a gift he was giving to a, a neighbouring government authority. What is it? What is it? Casley, is it foreign aid just to make sure that your bins get emptied every week? Oh, dear. Anyway, um, as we move now into the 21st century, uh, I'm sorry to tell you that uh, this century was not kind to the Hutt River province, uh, or as it officially became known from uh, 2006 onwards, the Principality of Hutt River. Still, of course, with His Majesty Prince Leonard I of Hutt at the helm. 
2006 was also the year that Casley attempted to take his taxation disputes all the way to the High Court of Australia, the highest court in the country. Uh, but the High Court took a rather dim view of this attempt to uh, to appeal the ongoing protracted legal battle he was having over these taxes. Uh, they were not amused. They rudely dismissed his, uh, his appeal attempt as <clears throat> fatuous, frivolous and vexatious. About a decade later, in 2017, Prince Leonard abdicated in favour of, of in favour of his son Prince Graham. So the realm had a new monarch. But um, I'm not sure how much this abdication had to do with what else happened in 2017, namely the Supreme Court of Western Australia ordering once and for all that Casley really did have to pay 2.7 million dollars, Hutt River dollars or Australian dollars, in back taxes. So, yes, Casley had really racked up a tab. But again, Casley, he had the perfect solution. You will not believe this, right? But until the day he died, Casley never paid those taxes. We have seen some staggering examples of tax evasion over the years. Casley, the best at what he did, undoubtedly, right? And you're wondering, of course, how? How did he possibly avoid this tax bill? I'll tell you. In 2019, Leonard Casley took an all-new, characteristically innovative and rather more permanent approach to his lifelong passion of tax evasion that was extremely effective. I said before, until the day he died, these taxes remained remained unpaid. And in 2019, Casley avoided these taxes once and for all by dying. The prince is dead. Long live the prince. Casley proved to us all that it's actually not death and taxes. In his his case, it was very much death or taxes. However, this meant that Prince Graham didn't just inherit the Hutt River throne from his father. He also inherited a few million dollars of unpaid tax debt. And this was the beginning of the end of the Principality of Hutt River. Graham didn't seem to have the same fight in him as his old man did when it came to tax evasion. And in 2020, he announced that the Principality of Hutt River would be permanently closing its borders. In real terms, this resulted in the little fantasy that was Hutt River being abandoned once and for all as Graham was finally forced to sell off the farm in order to pay the ATO. The bastards won, and the Principality of Hutt River is no more. But, happily, there is one surviving vestige of this proud nation that remains to this very day, something that you can go and explore yourself without going to the trouble of travelling all the way out to regional WA. If you direct a web browser to principality-hut-river.com, you can enjoy the very best of late 90s web design from tiled backgrounds to animated icons as you explore the official website of the Principality of Hutt River. I will warn you, however, I just hope your computer is up to it as the site very clearly warns you that to view it properly, you'll need a minimum screen resolution of... 1024 by 768 and that the site is best viewed on Microsoft Internet Explorer 10. <laughs> <laughs>